0: I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings and salutations in the name of our Lord. Welcome to another fabulous day in the Lord's neighborhood. And welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page. I am Paige, your caffeine-imbued host. Here's my caffeine. Mm. In the beginning, there was created coffee. And lo, it was very, very good. Today, we're going to be looking at chapter 24 of Numbers. This is going to be the last major uh, input we have about Balaam. And I got a lot of questions answered today. Uh, finally, you know, there's something about Balaam that hasn't been right. Uh, the language that's been used up until now, it's the same usual yada, 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 prophet comes, blah, 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 speaks the words of God, blah, blah, and I'm not speaking down to that, but I'm just, there's nothing, there hasn't been anything really, really on the surface unusual, but I've got this uneasy feeling about Balaam because I know he's not spoken of very well in other parts of the scripture. And I just see him blessing Israel. I'm thinking, well, how in the world is this a bad thing? Well, the blessings in and of themselves are not a bad thing, of course. But the vehicle that God uses to bless Israel is kind of odd. Because Balaam was a witch or warlock or whatever you want to call it. He, He was a diviner. He spoke with demonic entities. Now, they would have called them gods, small g, gods in that area. Uh, but apparently, he was a real deal. He wasn't a charlatan. He wasn't a fake. And he was hired, a hired gun. Kings would hire him to do things for them spiritually, you know, manipulate things, um, crops, get rid of oh, rivals, whatever. And he was brought in to curse Israel because... This king, Balak, was concerned when he saw this huge, huge nation coming. So he hires Balaam to come in and curse him. And of course, we all know the story, Balaam doesn't curse them, And so in the back of my mind, I've got this couple questions going on about how good this could be. Today, I think I've got those questions answered. So let's just get right to the scripture. And uh, again, you're going to be getting a lot of page thinking with his mouth open because that's what I do. And that's what you're getting here. The devotional approach to the scripture for me has been incredibly valuable because in in Psalms 1, it says, blessed is a man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. He's like a tree planted by streams of living water. Everything he does prospers. He meditates on the law of the Lord, day and night. Meditate means to talk to yourself about. So that's what I'm doing. And that's what you're getting. Me talking to myself as I go through this. And it's amazing how that approach has just opened up the scriptures to me and answered a lot of things. Now, it's no substitute for the deep dive studies, but this is a, deep dive study in a different way for some reason god has really spoken to the depths of my heart as i've meditated thought with my mouth open if you will muttered to myself as i'm going through these things so as i mutter to myself i think i got some questions answered about balaam so let's see what we got here now when balaam saw that it pleased the lord to bless israel he did not resort to divination as at other times but turned his face toward the wilderness. When Balaam looked out and saw Israel encamped tribe by tribe, the Spirit of God came on him. Now, this is unexpected language. (laughs) The Spirit of God came on him. This language hints at the fact that God overpowered Balaam. He enforced his will on on Balaam. And also look up here, it says, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not resort to divination as at other times. Now this could mean at other times as like as it was his usual practice, or it could mean the other times that he was asked to curse Israel. And he couldn't. We've already seen like three times like the king came to him and said, hey, look, curse Israel. And three times Balaam blessed Israel. So we, you could read this. When he saw it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not resort to divination as at other times. Like he maybe, he tried. He tried contacting the spiritual entities that he's used to dealing with. He was not a fake. He was not a charlatan. He had real dealings with demonic entities. That's his, that's, that's his calling card. Now they would have called them gods in that part of the country, but we know that they were demonic entities. And he could communicate with them. So, it looks like he tried and couldn't get through. Mm. Another thought occurred to me, why God would choose Balaam. There was one other prophet in the area that they could have consulted, and that was Moses, but they weren't going to go to him because he's a leader of this nation's getting ready to invade. They're not going to listen to Moses. So God gave them somebody they would listen to to get his words to this king. And and there's, there's implied warning here. There's implied warning. This king wants Balaam to curse Israel and God overwhelms Balaam and makes him bless Israel. There's an implied warning to this king that he's not going to listen to, of course. So I'm beginning to see beneath the surface Balaam is not this super nice guy that he might have you might have thought about him, thought of him as. He wasn't just a a nice prophet of another religion. Who, you know, he's a nice guy, but you know, uh, he, he, God can work through him too. Well, yeah, God can work through him, but God had to overwhelm him. This is not voluntary on Balaam's part. In fact, we're going to see later on that there is no way that Balaam is a God follower. And this is the message he spoke. The prophecy of Balaam, son of Beor, the prophecy of one whose eyes see clearly, the prophecy of one who hears the words of God, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate, whose eyes are opened. All right, whose eyes are opened, like in surprise. Stunned surprise. And now we hear for the first time, he falls prostrate. It's like he's finally got a clue that this God he's dealing with is not one of the myriad gods in their region. This is someone much bigger, much more powerful. And here we hear him saying, This is the one who hears God, who falls prostrate, whose eyes are opened like, oh, oh. How beautiful are your tents, O Jacob, your dwelling place is Israel. Have you ever had one of these experiences where it's like you're, you're having an out-of-body experience. You're watching yourself say things or do things that are amazing. And it's like, wow, how did this happen? Every now and again, when I'm in my teaching practice, I teach music privately. I'll be trying to find a way to explain a musical principle to a student or a spiritual principle because I speak God's word into my students' lives whenever I get a chance. And I'll. it's like I'll be saying something that's really, really smart really really wise. And it's like I'm standing outside myself watching me say these really smart words and I'm going, "Wow, I hope somebody's taking notes. This is good stuff." This is kind of what I think what's happening here. He's not a volunteer in God's army. God's enforcing his will on Balaam. And he is you can see him standing outside going, "Wait, what am I doing?" Like valleys they spread out, talking about Israel. Like gardens beside a river. Like aloes planted by the Lord. Like cedars beside the waters. Water will flow from their buckets. Their seed will have abundant water. Their king will be greater than Agag. Their kingdom will be exalted. God brought them out of Egypt. They have the strength of a wild ox. They devour hostile nations and break their bones in pieces. With their arrows, they pierce them. Now, these central words here in verse 8 that I just read. These are being recited. You have to remember now, we understand who Balaam is. He is a hostile outsider. He's not a fan of God. He's not a follower of God. And these words he's using, they have the strength of a wild ox. They devour hostile nations. Israel hasn't done any of this stuff. So this could be a prophetic looking forward thing, but the language is present tense. It's like, this is almost like the bitter words of a man who realizes who Israel is, and they're just, they're angry and they make up things. Well, it would turn out that Israel would be as strong as an So this is a prophetic vision of what's to come. But this is also, I can sense in it, the bitterness of a man who's realizing the truth. And it's not a pleasant truth for him or for the kings in the area. Like a lion, they crouch and lie down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse them? May those who bless you be blessed and those who curse you be cursed. Then Balak's anger burned against Balaam. He struck his hands together and said to him, I summoned you to curse my enemies, but you've blessed them these three times. Now leave it once and go home. I said I would reward you handsomely, but the Lord has kept you from being rewarded. Um, Ultimate insult. He hired Balaam. And that's what, that's Balaam's income. That's what Balaam was. He was a gun for hire. He hired Balaam, but didn't pay him anything because Balaam could not deliver on cursing Israel. Whew. Now here's the deal. Proof of the validity of who Balaam was as a uh, intermediary between demonic forces and humanity lies in the fact that, that this king hired him to do that. It lies in the fact that he must have had success in this area. This isn't a charlatan. This Again, all the things add up to Balaam being a very real deal. But he couldn't do what he would normally do. He couldn't break through to any of the other gods in the area is a sense I'm getting. God overwhelmed him. And if God's overwhelming him, There's absolutely no way any demonic force can overcome that. And you get the sense that he tried, he tried on several occasions to talk to these demonic entities and couldn't. He quit resorting to divination because it wasn't working. Balaam answered Balak, did I not tell the messenger you sent me? Even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I could not do anything of my own accord, good or bad, to go beyond the command of the Lord. And I must say only what the Lord says. Now I'm going back to my people, but come, let me warn you what this people will do to your people in days to come. Now the curse has come. But it's not Israel that's being cursed. He spoke this message, the prophecy of Balaam, son of Beor, the prophecy of one whose eyes see clearly. The prophecy of one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate, whose eyes are opened. Again, he's getting a picture of who God, who this God is. I see him now, but I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab. The skulls of all the people of Sheth. Edom will be conquered. Seir, his enemy, will be conquered, but Israel will grow strong. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. Then Balaam saw Amalek and spoke his message. Amalek was first among the nations, but their end will be utter destruction. Then he saw the Kenites and spoke his message. Your dwelling place is secure. Your nest is set on a rock. Yet you Kenites will be destroyed when Asher takes you captive. And he spoke his message again. Alas, who can live when God does this? Ships will come from the shores of Cyprus. They will subdue Asher and Eber, but they too will come to ruin. Then Balaam got up and returned home and Balak went his way. Now, we think this is the end of the story. It's kind of not. We're going to find out later that Balaam's name pops up again. But as proof of Balaam not being a true God-fearer, We find that after all the favorable prophetic messages that he speaks over Israel, in the end, he did not prophesy for them, but he gave them advice on how to weaken Israel. We find in chapter 30, verse 16, it says, they were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and enticed the Israelites to be unfaithful to the Lord. He told them, he gave them advice, look, I can't curse them, but here's what you can do. Get your women to seduce their men. Infiltrate their army with your women. And that's what happened. And Israel was weakened. So Balaam's heart was not for God. He was against God and he found a way to combat Israel. He couldn't curse them spiritually but he could give advice. And his advice was, have you women seduce their men? Watch what happens. But we'll do more on that when we get to chapter 30. So, hmm, some interesting stuff about Balaam here, isn't it? The truth of the matter is, Balaam was not a God-fearer and God overwhelmed him. So you, the, my, one of my questions why would God do that? Why would God speak his words through a prophet That wasn't one of his. Well, first of all, the main prophet in the arena at that time was Moses. They weren't going to listen to Moses. Second of all, God is sovereign. He can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, to who he wants. An old preacher told me once, um, God will use the ordinary unless the extraordinary is called for. Uh, This is an extraordinary situation. Israel is prepared to invade. They're at the borders. They're getting ready to cross the Jordan. We're going to find that out here in the next few chapters, that they're getting ready to move on. And God is going to do some extraordinary things. Um, That, by the way, is my philosophy when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit very contentious area of discussion uh, in the in the church today about you know are the gifts still available et cetera. Et cetera. yeah I, I think they are but the point of the matter is and me in my opinion on the gifts of the spirit God will use the ordinary unless the extraordinary are called for and the extraordinary is the are those gifts of the spirit that we read in Corinthians 12: 13 and 14 don't chase after the gifts chase after God. God will use what he will use because he is sovereign. That's the cornerstone of my spiritual life. God is sovereign. God will do what he will do. And even if I don't understand it, he does not require my understanding in order to gain permission to do what he wants to do. He's going to do what he wants to do. My faith walk demands that I accept that. And even though sometimes it appears harsh, what he does is harsh, or sometimes what he does is is hurtful to me, I realize that in his heart, at, God, at God's heart, is his love and care for me. And so I can put my life in the sovereign hands of God because he will do what he will do. And he knows the plans he has for me, they're good plans, not evil. So I can accept the fact that he would use a pagan prophet like Balaam to get his point across. And if it requires overwhelming Balaam and forcing his will on Balaam and in essence forcing his words out of Balaam, I can accept that. God is sovereign. Balaam, we're going to find out later in other passages, was an enemy of God, and the irony of it all is that God used his very own enemy to present the blessings that he had for Israel. He used an enemy of his to proclaim Israel's victory before it ever happened. Good stuff. All righty then, here's my coffee. I'm Paige, folks. I'm out of here. Have a great day. Bye-bye. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither should my thoughts be your thoughts. You need to think for yourself.